is the Colby Daniels podcast, and I'm very excited about this guest today. Um, he has quite the resume as we speak. Ian Parker is everywhere. And if you're not familiar with Ian Parker and you're not a member of the Duck Army, then uh, I'm excited for you to listen to this podcast. You can find him at CBS Sportsline. He's an analyst for the PFL. He's on Combat Coach. He's on the Anakin Florian podcast in which he is dominating the scoreboard. He is the Duck Ian Parker. Ian Parker, what's going on, my friend? Oh, everything and nothing at the same time, my man. Uh, right now, just prepping for the UFC card this weekend, and then we're back in the PFL in a few weeks, which I'm excited about for the playoffs. So a lot of homework, a lot of prep, and uh, just got to keep the momentum going. I'm happy to be here. I, I heard somebody on, uh, or I read on Twitter, somebody say something along the lines of, you are the hottest handicapper in MMA right now. And I almost felt like that was a little bit disrespectful because it kind of gave me the impression like you're on this like lucky streak where you're flipping a coin and it's just like landing on the lucky side of things. And and that's the one thing I appreciate about you so much is if you listen to your content and you listen to the explanations for the picks, it's my favorite part. It's, it's why all the picks make so much sense. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, there's a lot of good cappers out there that are, you know, they kind of do their own styles. They have their own shows. For me, um, yeah, I've been on a little bit of a streak for sure. I've been doing this for a long time in different, you know, parts of the sport, between fighting, managing, sponsoring, and now getting myself here. I, I try to be more of a, uh, I guess, analyst, if you want to call it that. I try to break, break it down. You know, a lot of these guys that do these uh, handicapping, I honestly don't focus on their style. I just try to focus on mine and my research and I just believe my knowledge of the sport is what kind of takes me to a different level so uh whether I'm the hottest handicapper at the moment um if I lose I'm not you know how that goes in the sport Absolutely. I just try to be I just try to be as well-rounded as possible you're popular while you're winning and look that's that's uh with any sport uh you know the the guys that are winning are, are the the hottest flavor of the month if you will um what was how what was the beginnings for you with MMA and the interest level? You, you I know when we first started talking you were telling me that you've pretty much like you just said been in this sport from every single level from every angle. Uh you've covered it, you've been coaching in it. So like what was the beginning for you? Honestly, I remember all the way back to when I was in college. I mean, I'm only 36. I don't know if that's considered old or not these days. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I do a show with John and Kenny, so they're the older ones. It makes me feel younger. Um, <laughs> just kidding. But <clears throat> yeah, I watched the. Uh, you know, I used to watch Pride. I used to watch the original. You know, Ultimate UFC back in the day. And then when the Ultimate Fighter season one came about, it kind of reignited the passion for the sport. And after that, I started doing some jujitsu training, you know, with Matt Serra, some striking with Ray Longo. And I was on their team for a little bit, you know, as a fighter, not very long, a couple of concussions and then a career move. Um, you know, from there, I created Cage Hero where I was sponsoring guys and then that turned into a comic book series and a clothing line. And now I'm still actually working on that as a um, script for a movie script for Netflix currently. So we're hoping that deal lands for Cage Hero, which is kind of exciting. It's just been put on the back burner since all this other stuff has kind of been taken off in a very fun and different way. And, you know, as the years kind of went on, you know, I've been on Luke Thomas's show when he was, you know, back doing his radio stuff. I've spoken with, you know, with all these other guys. And for me, it was just continuing to want to be part of this sport in every aspect possible. You know, I managed guys like Chris Weidman, John Vellante, you know, and then sponsoring fighters like back in Strike Force, Daniel Cormier, Luke Rockhold, Misha Tate, Josh Thompson, Kung Lee, even Chuck Liddell at a certain point. So, you know, it's just, it's been a long time being here. I'm finally getting my opportunity to step in front of the camera as opposed to being behind the scenes, which is awesome and amazing. And I'm just 
better late than never. And right now I'm just taking it all in stride. You know, Jonathan Coachman pretty much, you know, has been a huge help for me uh, since, you know, I've been with Anakin and Florian podcast. John's and Kenny have been amazing. After a year of that, you know, Coach asked me to uh, join him and do some things. And then within weeks, I landed with CBS and then a month later with the PFL. And it's just just the beginning for us. So it's uh, a lot of exciting stuff. A lot of dues put in. I don't know if people really realize how long I've been here because I've kind of been, like I said, behind the scenes, but I'm here now. So I'm the rock. <laughs> well, look, it's you've been fantastic regardless of whether it's Combat Coach or the or the Anakin Florian podcast. But at the same time, like the, I feel like the sport has just like been this rocket ship over the last, I mean, basically since the pandemic began, right? You know, this sport over the last poof, five to seven years just continues to grow and get bigger. You know, it's funny. When I was such a fan of this, my friends really weren't. They didn't really get it. They just thought it was like, oh, it's violence. It's like, all right, you're into this stuff, whatever. But then when it got like legalized, I feel like when it got legalized in New York, it kind of that and then the ESPN and the Fox deal and the ESPN deal. It just it doesn't ever cease to amaze me where this sport's going to go. And especially on an international level, you know, it just it keeps growing. And then it, it somehow it goes away in a big way. And then it comes back in a bigger way, if that makes sense, like especially in the United States. And, you know, <clears throat> mainstream wise, it's getting there. Will it ever be as big as the NFL or the NHL or be? I don't know. I mean, you see how some of these guys get paid and it's kind of interesting, but this sport is huge. It's constantly evolving. That's why I keep, you know, when I make my picks and I talk about some of these fighters, you know, the sport really waits for nobody. There's no other sport like this where if you're gone for X amount of time or you don't compete or you're not active and you don't keep up. I mean, guys that are younger are becoming more well-rounded. They're more mature as opposed to back in the day, they stuck to one discipline and just went with it. You know, it's, Really, you see who the who these stars are now, the young ones that are rising faster. You just see a different talent and skill. And uh, yeah, this sport, listen, I've said forever, this sport is the wild, wild west, but maybe a little bit more of a controlled one. But it's it's just, honestly, it, it's going to keep growing. You know, I feel like it's kind of taking the steps that WWE kind of did at some point. I feel like people had that same feeling about it being a niche sport, but then it caught on to everybody. They found a way to connect and you know, for me, when I did cage hero, the way I was trying to get people to connect with this was on a discipline level, which was helping with kids, you know, not about kids going into a cage and beating the shit out of each other, because that I don't support, you know, but having kids doing martial arts, doing wrestling, doing jujitsu, the discipline of it, learning how to, you know, it's okay to tap. It's more of an educational situation here, you know, because really it's just like any, it's really just like any other sport. People, seem to ignore the uh, the violence of football and soccer and, you know, just they just look at this sport in a different way. Yet somehow this sport, once you're defenseless, they stop it. So really the best I can give you with that. Yeah, you know, the, the early days it was, and, and I remember, you know, going yeah. to buy the VHS or rent the VHS tapes of the the first UFCs where it's, you know, the karate guy against the sumo guy. And it was it was about discipline versus discipline. And this kind of applies to the Conor McGregor situation, I think, a little bit where, you know, Conor comes in and he's he hits the, the sport like a hurricane. But when you look at his activity over the last five years, there's this idea that Conor McGregor's washed up and that he's no longer a threat and, and all that. And I, I, my theory is Conor McGregor's still just as dangerous as he's ever been. The difference is all the guys at the top, especially at that division, are so well-rounded now. It's, it's not the same UFC that it used to be where you would have one guy that was just such a specialist in one area. These guys have so many tools in the tool belt 
that if you don't take them out in one way, they they can go to different disciplines. They they just it, it feels like the guys at the top of every division now are so much more well rounded than they were even just five years ago. You know, and one of the guys that I think changed that was George St. Pierre. You know, he was a guy that came out and was like with Matt Hughes at the time was a dominant champ, the wrestler. His striking was not good, you know, and it's no disrespect to him. Go watch. He wasn't beating anybody on the on the feet. He would throw it overhand right to shoot for a double and dominate on the ground. Then you had a guy like George St. Pierre come in who could keep the distance, who could defend takedowns, who could out wrestle the wrestler. You know, it changed the game. It's funny you want to jump at the Connor already, huh? You want to get right to the sauce, right? So my feeling on Connor is is different. You know, here's what I will say, and I've said this numerous times. What Connor has done for this sport, <clears throat> same thing with Ronda Rousey, you know, second and none with getting eyeballs on the sport, bringing views, bringing that. Connor brought something that Chael Sonnen really tried to do, but couldn't back up because he couldn't win the big fights, right? It was that larger than life WWE personality. I'll be a face. I'll be a heel. You know. I'm going to, and Colby Covington does a good job at it because people either want to watch him fight or want to watch him get his ass kicked. Either way, they're going to watch. My issue with Connor is this. And I'm trying to, you know, again, I'm I'm not not a Connor fan, but if you go and look at the opponents that, that were presented to him along the way, all right, you talk about like a Diego Brandau who just did not fight smart. That was a guy I thought was probably one of Connor's more dangerous opponents. You know, he fought Max Holloway when Max Holloway wasn't Max Holloway, right? Also a young prospect. That was when I thought Connor was special. Those fights. Diego Brando at the time was supposed to be a legitimate test for Connor. You know, ultimate fighter winner, devastating striker, black belt jujitsu, terrible cardio. At the time, Connor didn't present these cardio issues that he does now, which is really strange. Excuse me. So then you get a fight like Dennis Siver. Come on. You don't win a fight over Dennis Siver. All of a sudden you're a co-main event. You're a title fight, like whatever it is. Right. Then he gets Chad Mendez. Mendez on short notice. Mendez was dominating Connor. It was the first time Connor fought someone. Oh, I'm sorry. The Dustin Poirier fight. Poirier, obviously not the same guy he is now. Fought emotionally. Didn't go to his jujitsu. He wanted to prove that he could knock out the notorious Connor McGregor. Stupid. At the time, if Dustin would have done what he was doing, which was submitting everyone, you may have seen a star in Dustin at the time. And then, you know, not the star in Connor, but Connor knocked him out, right? Moved on. The Chad Mendes fight, what did he take that on? 11 days notice, I believe, or 13 days notice? He gassed, dominating Connor. I said to everybody, if you put this guy against a wrestler, we need to see him go against adversity, okay? He then fights Jose Aldo. One punch knockout. Listen, I don't take credit away from that. Amazing. But how do you gauge someone's evolution by one punch, right? He didn't defend that title ever again, or he never defended that title once. I would have liked to have seen him fight Aldo in a rematch. You know, Aldo, I felt, was the dominant champ forever. Why would he not get an immediate rematch, right? His best performance of his career came next against Eddie Alvarez, where Alvarez fought stupidly, okay? He fought, and Eddie's not that fighter, but Eddie, again, Got drawn into that Connor back and forth nonsense. Eddie's a fantastic wrestler. He's great on the ground. So what did he try to do? Stand up. Connor caught him. Second round, beat him. Awesome. Then all of a sudden, Connor goes away to fight Floyd Mayweather. Money, money, you know, payday. And I understand that. If you could do it, go for it. You only live once. You know, that type of payday never happens in in the MMA at the time. Maybe it will in the future. And it's Floyd Mayweather. You know you're going to get paid. But he was still the dual champion, right? So 45 belt goes away. And when he comes back, who does he fight? 
You know what I'm saying? Like when you saw in the Nate Diaz fights, you just saw holes in the game. And when he came back, you just didn't see it get better. Now, listen, him fighting Khabib, come on. We knew what was going to happen here. Okay. You knew For Khabib sure. was going to take him into deep waters, drag him down, make him die. Right. So Connor goes away. He comes back and he fights Cowboy Cerrone, which is a great matchup for Connor. Okay. Great matchup. A slowed down older Cowboy Cerrone who no longer uses his wrestling, no longer uses his jujitsu. Great for Connor. Go watch that fight. Cowboy shoots in, hits his temple on Connor's hip. His shoulder strikes in the nose didn't mess up Cowboy. We've seen him take a beating and win fights. Again, not a knock on Connor, but where does that show us that his wrestling game is better? Where does it show us his decision making has gotten better? You know, you talk about all these other fighters, right? Like Dustin Poirier, he's at American Top Team. You know who's there. Sanford MMA down here in Florida, you know who's there. You know, American Kickboxing County, where, where Usman trains out in Colorado. Connor's not bringing in guys to make Connor better. And I think because he's so worried about his ego, I think he's worried about losing in the gym and like a video going out there that someone beat his ass in the gym. Who cares? You know, there's gym code, right? You're not supposed to show that stuff. But to me, it's like then Connor goes ahead and fights Dustin. I called it in the first fight. Dustin was going to beat him. I said in the second fight, why does everyone think that Connor is going to just make all these adjustments? And people that are such big Connor fans are like, oh, he looked great in the first round. Why? He threw a few kicks. The kicks that he landed were good kicks. He landed one punch. But the minute Dustin pressured him with that combo and they went to the ground, Connor goes for a guillotine. Like I'm sitting here and I'm like, you really think you're going to get a guillotine on Dustin Poirier, who's a black belt? And I don't know. And I don't think Connor's ever won via guillotine even in the gym you know so well, he, he only just, recognizes knockouts as he said all all fight week right that's the thing like he doesn't like if he doesn't I mean, he knows it's mma he's trying to goat the guy into getting him into you know a striking fight for but sure this just kind of goes into my whole situation and i believe in his coach john cavanaugh i think he's got a lot of good guys at sbg in ireland but i don't even think connor was there i think he was literally by himself riding a bicycle around like miami and dubai wherever he was on his yacht you know, for me, I would be more impressed with Connor if he would have went to any gym. Go to, you know, go to Jackson and Wink. Go to American Kickboxing Academy. Go somewhere where you haven't, like, burn a bridge. And go train with these other guys. No one's going to disrespect you for getting out-wrestled for months. No one's going to get, you know, hate on Connor's legacy. To me, what Connor did at the end of that Dustin fight, he lost a lot of fans. All right? People are still going to like him. If he comes back, I'll still watch. I don't care about seeing him fight Dustin again. There's nothing that I believe. And Connor's known for fading cardio-wise. So why do I think he's going to come back and win that fight? I, I mean, that, to me, that was a 10-8 round. You know, Dustin would have just taken him down again, done what he needs to do. You know, it's just Connor's done a great job building this legacy. But I think the more he acts this way, just you want to be the face of an organization. You want to be someone of a role model. You have kids. That, to me, was just like a pure display of just just. Stop being a class act. It didn't have to go that way. He could have literally said, look, you know, I thought I was doing all right in the beginning of the round. He took me down. He controlled me. I got back up. Up until the injury, I felt pretty good. But kudos to Dustin. A win's a win. Hopefully, I'll see him in the future. People would have been like, awesome. Hug it out. Don't threaten to kill the guy. Don't threaten all this other nonsense. We've never seen Connor act like that before, win or lose after a fight. So I don't really know what was going through his head right now. I mean, he did just snap his ankle in half. You know, but now he's lying about all these pre-existing injuries, that the, the fractures. There were no fractures before the fight. You know, a friend of mine, David Abbasi, a doctor, Abbasi, go watch his video that he's been posting around Twitter. He will literally go over the x-ray that was submitted. There's nothing there, you know? So just, and when he comes back, 
who do, who do you think he fights? You think the sport is going to wait a year and a half for him to reignite a feud with Dustin? By that time, Dustin could be a champ. Dustin could have already defended the belt once. And Dustin could be retired. You know, for me, the only answer is Nate Diaz in the trilogy, right? Or if you want to take it a step further, Tony Ferguson, you could definitely sell that fight. Because to me, that doesn't matter if it's a year or two, Nate or Tony are not getting back to the title. So that that's my take on Connor. I think anyone that defends what he did, do I think he's washed up? I mean, I don't, I, washed up is weird for me to say, yeah. you know, because look, he's, <laughs> people, he, he's so inactive when he fights anyway, and people seem to forget about his losses. His record's not that great in the UFC anymore. You know, and as and if he keeps fighting, like I don't think he beats Benil Dariush right now. I don't think he beats, you know, Gregor Gillespie. Throw Gillespie in there. You know, you know, Gillespie cardio and wrestling wise, Connor would be in deep, deep trouble. So at this point, for me, Connor just will fight fights that make sense. You know, other legends that are on the way out, make your money, but don't act like an asshole. There's no yeah. need for it. Yeah, that's why I say I like he to me at the beginning of fights, he still looks like the same guy. He still looks dangerous. He he still has this attack that can come from anywhere. He still looks quick. It doesn't look like he's slow or anything. And you know that there's the potential that if he touches you, you could go down. But, um, sure. you know, Dustin Poirier, I thought, once again, just fought the perfect fight. He he kind of waited Connor out in those opening minutes. And then when he saw his opportunity, he won the stand-up and then obviously took <laughs> it from there. So I, I do think it's somewhat disrespectful just to, I, I think, the other guys, especially at the top of that division, to say that, Connor's washed up because those guys have, have done nothing but train for the last five years while he's been on the sideline. Those guys have just improved, in my opinion, to the point that th there are just so many well-rounded fighters that, yeah, I, I, I let me ask you this. Would Connor be favored against anybody in the top 10? A healthy Connor today, would he be favored against anybody in the top 10 of that division? Give me the names of six through 10, and I can answer that question for you. Ooh, uh, I think RDA's in that group. Dan Hooker's probably in that group. Um, Islam is probably in that group. I haven't seen uh, how high he jumped after the win on Saturday. Who else is See, there? See, like, I would, be, I would be interested in seeing him versus RDA. Uh, that, to me, is a fight that I could watch. I think he would struck... I think he would struggle, though, because I think, you know, we just saw we've seen RDA fight recently and we know he's in shape and that dude just doesn't age. It's kind of crazy. But um, his jujitsu, his takedowns, his striking, I think, would get the best of Connor. You know, Dan Hooker would be a terrible matchup for Connor, although, you know, would Hooker use the ground game or would he just kind of go in there like a Australian zombie and just try to put on a war? You know, for me, again, it's it's hard to really picture Connor beating a lot of people at this point yeah. because everyone else has gotten so much better. I mean, a guy in Darius, I bring up his name. I think he's such a dark horse in this division who, <clears throat> when he first started, everyone was talking about him like, Hey, this is the guy to watch. And then he had a couple of losses like that flying knee to Barbosa, right? Um, he bounces back, you know, he gets into that war with Drakkar close where really pretty much anyone could have won that fight. But you know, He's a guy that can take the fight to the ground, as we saw in his last fight, right, with Tony Ferguson, and can control it. And if you don't have an ego, you don't get emotionally pissed off at Connor's words, just go in there and beat the guy. You don't need to beat him by knockout. You know, if Darius went in there and submitted him, if RDA would go in there and probably submit him, you know, that's why I'm saying right now for Connor, it's go get health, <clears throat> go get healthy, go train, 
And if you want to train the way you've been training the last five years and you don't want to make the changes, then to me, it's a Nate Diaz fight because in the Leon Edwards fight, what people want to like love Nate Diaz because of the last, what, 56 seconds of a fight. When I'm sitting there going like, dude, Leon Edwards looked fantastic for 24 minutes and 50 seconds, you know, of that fight. But Nate's, you know, Nate's game. Look, if Nate would have won that fight at the end, insanity, right? For Leon to even get put in that position in the last 50 seconds is pretty crazy. But for me, again, like Nate isn't getting a title shot at 155 or 170. He doesn't want to cut the 55 anymore. So for Connor, you don't need to cut the weight. You'll get paid the same amount. You'll make a lot of money. And you and Nate could sell a trilogy. Do it. What, like, to come back and want Dustin, what about that rematch really excites? I mean, like, I don't know what people are excited about. He got finished and destroyed in the first one. It wasn't close. In this one, it was one round. And I don't want to be a hypocrite because the same thing with the Bilal Muhammad Leon Edwards fight. You know, Bilal wasn't finished. He was getting, you know, not getting the best of the first round. But it's a five-round fight. To me, this was way more dominant. And Connor's not known for his cardio. So, to me, I just... I don't see again. I just don't see what Connor makes the changes to do better in the in this fight. He gets taken down, and he was even holding on to that guillotine when Dustin passed guard. You know, if you listen to guys that really know their jujitsu that do these videos on YouTube and the commentary, they will tell you the minute you hold on to that guillotine and a guy passes guard, all you're doing is blowing out your muscles. You know, so you right. talk about a guy who fades with his cardio, who relies on his hands. The minute he stands up in the next round. He's going to have nothing left in his arms. How does he right. win that fight? So, you know, well, I, I agree. Bilal, I we've, know we've seen Bilal go past yeah. the first round a number of times and still look Every extremely fight. dangerous. Yeah, like Bilal has a history of being good after the first round as opposed to Connor, who, I mean, how many times has he been good after round one? Honestly, the only fight that I think Connor did well after a round one or a round two was the uh, second fight with Nate Diaz where he got his win back, I guess in the Khabib fight, what was it, the third round or something like that, it seemed like he was getting his win back a little bit. But for me, it was the Nate Diaz one where he won, where he got that second and third win, or Nate kind of had a moment where he got tagged and Connor was able to, like, you know, adrenaline-wise get it up. But, yeah, no, not against, against, you know, with Bilal, way different. He's a cardio freak. You know, he pretty much... He's always able to go, even if he takes a beating, you know, against Dustin, who, listen, against Dan Hooker, the first two rounds, Dustin was getting pummeled, you know, and that was off a long layoff. Three, four, and five, he comes back and dominates a guy in Dan Hooker who's got cardio for days. Yeah, see, like, to me, this is just, for Connor, he fancies himself a businessman. Be a smart businessman. Go train. Go fight Nate. Make your money. Then if he wins that, you know, who knows who else is available. Maybe maybe a Masvidal fight down the line also. You know, I mean, if as long as they're not afraid of, as long as, as long as the UFC is not afraid of Conor losing, you know, they have to will, they have to be willing to understand that this guy is probably not going to win too many more fights. So if I'm them, I'm trying to build stars or create mega fights out of that, you know. And yeah. Conor's not going to fight a no namer. I think him versus Masvidal, you know, would be fun. You know, I think that's something. I mean, the talk along the way, the build up, you know. It, uh, to me, there's just a few matchups for him left and then right off into the sunset. Yeah, but again, he's, I mean, I, half of the people I know that, you know, casually watch the sport think that Connor was doing fine in that fight. And 
those people are going to watch Connor fight no matter who it's against because he's going to be on ESPN, you know, mouthing off about whatever it is. And that's that's what sells fights. Um, I'm, I'm very I'm, I'm very curious at the definition of doing fine in an MMA fight. So, look, right. do I listen? I'll watch Connor fight. Jake Paul, if that ever happens, I don't care. It's it's not about watching Connor or not. It's about do we consider him a top five guy anymore? And the answer is no, yeah. he's not top five. Could he be top 10? Sure. We could we could find a way to put him in the top 10. He's Connor McGregor. His name alone could get you there, right? But what is doing fine mean? Does that mean surviving, not getting knocked out? You know, he did not look lumped up, marked up, you know, the next few days, but everyone saw those elbows landing. And if anyone, even casual fans, right? And I hate categor categorizing people because watch it whenever you want. It's all good, you know, but if you actually watch the fight and you try to not be biased, you got to understand this guy was on his back for about 68% of the round, you know, getting elbows. Him struggling to get up is tiring. He finally did stand up. What was it, like 10 seconds left? He yeah. wasn't going to throw anything. And again, if you know the sport even this much, Connor is not known for cardio. And usually in the second round is where he starts to ha have the adrenaline dump and fade. And Dustin's a smart fighter. Dustin's not going to stand up and risk himself losing all that money in a rock'em, sock'em robots fight. He was going to definitely throw a combo, get close, get him against the cage, and take him down. Like, Dustin, Dustin doesn't need the ego to finish Connor any way, shape, or form. He just is like, listen— I know where I'm way better than this guy. He even said that Connor caught him with a left and, you know, it hit her, it hurt him a little bit. And there's no question Connor's got that power. It's just, again, it's the fight IQ. It's just not there. Yeah. You mentioned the term casual and not wanting to categorize people, but I would say when you, when you call people casuals, I feel like that's the same group of people that like doesn't want to give any credit to groundwork that fighters do. And they only want to credit, you know, the stand up wars and, and things of that nature. So I think it's kind of fitting for what we saw in that that Connor Dustin round one. Yeah, that, I mean, I, I think there are certain fans that just love the idea of the knockouts. They love the idea of the back and forth striking the wars and maybe just don't have an appreciation for the ground game because they don't understand it. You know, there are some yeah. fighters like Damian Maya who people will be like, oh, I'm not going to watch this. You know, even when Ben Askren before he came to the UFC, I mean, if you look at that Robbie Lawler fight, you know, he took a ton of damage, came back and won by submission, even though controversial, whatever it is. <clears throat> there are so many fighters that if you understand Brazilian jiu-jitsu, the art of it, um, what level of skill it really takes to be a master. I mean, Hadalfo Vieira, if you saw this past weekend when he was fighting, this is a guy who's one of the best in the world who really, he came off his first loss where he got submitted to a guy who's not a black belt, a guy who never won by submission. And psychologically, that does a lot of damage to you when you're a fighter. For him to come back, Stand up with a guy who was better stand up. And that submission was like the way he jumped his back and got yeah. it was unbelievable for a guy who just gassed in his last fight, looked better as the fight went on. You know, to me, seeing a really fun submission, seeing it being set up, seeing it even coming out of nowhere, to me, is just as awesome as a knockout. I mean, and you got to also understand different divisions with this. The heavyweight division, you're not getting too much of that unless it's a Fabrizio Doom or a Frank Mir. You know, you don't see the submission game all that often. Right. You just you just don't because these guys, maybe it's the quickness, maybe it's, you know, spending time on the ground or it's just a power thing. You know, you're not seeing Derek Lewis go in trying to get a triangle choke anytime soon. If that dude ever wins by triangle choke, he should get a key to every city in the country. Right. That's not who he is. However, when you watch guys at 35, 25, 45, 55, all the way up to probably around 205, 
I mean, look at Glover Teixeira. This is a guy who has as many subs as he does knockouts. And if you can't tell me that his submission went over Tiago Santos at the time was nothing short of an impressive, that doesn't excite you, then watch all the shows I do. I'll be more than happy to let you know when uh, to what fights to not watch and to not shit on these grapplers because some of these grapplers are extremely impressive. Absolutely. Um, I, I think we're all excited about the Lewis gone fight, but it feels like there's a lot of controversy attached to the interim belt being on the line. You know what? I, um, look, I, <laughs> I don't ever try to argue with what Dana White says or does. He's obviously a huge success for a reason. He's got the sport to where, where it is. I don't think everyone's ever going to agree with every single decision he makes. I don't really understand always the interim belts. I think what they try to do that is to build it up as a champion versus champion situation. And I think what they're looking at is that if Gon does win, right, that they could do the whole, oh, you know, training partner versus training partner, undefeated versus never fought each other, champion, champion. There is a marketability to that. Do I think it was so necessary to have an interim belt? To me, it doesn't matter. I, it's a five-round main event. The winner will get a title shot either way. So the only thing that I'm thrown off by, and what I would really love to know, is why you know Nanu is not fighting. You know, is it a money thing? Is it an injury thing? You know, obviously we hear different from the ma management as we do from Dana. So we'll get to fight at some point. I know a lot of these guys are trying to get paid more. You know, the one thing I will tell fighters is this. You got into this sport knowing you are not making, you know, $800,000 a year being a backup placeholder in the NFL. It's just not, it's just not right. what it is. You got to win. You got to promote yourself every chance you get. You got to build up that personality, build up that brand, and money will come in. Look, Conor McGregor is one of the highest paid athletes in the world, and he does not win a lot of fights. You know, in my opinion, Francis Ngannou can be an absolute megastar. You know, he could be in a Marvel movie as a villain. He's in Fast and the Furious. You know, guys are marketable. They just, you don't hear from him, though, other than that, right? When's the last time we've even seen a tweet or something that got you excited? You know, Derek Lewis is someone who's done an incredible job building himself up. You know, you tell me this guy can't land in a sitcom, can't be in commercials, can't be in a movie. Of course he can. You know, you could put him at a UFC desk making picks and you could coach him you know, to be a little bit more professional in certain aspects, but he's hilarious. That personality is absolutely there. So there are other ways to make money in the sport. Do I feel like these guys get paid enough? I mean, look, you don't need to, you know, it's obvious that you'd like to see them make as much as other sports, right? Do I think you'll get there one day. <clears throat> I hope so. I do. I don't think that any professional fighter should have to have another job while doing this in any major organization, you know? So, but I am, I, I do also like that there are other organizations where these fighters can go to to get paid and compete, like PFL, like Bellator, like yeah. 1FC, like Combati. You know, there are other organizations, um, you know, and that's not taking anything away from the UFC. But for me, it was kind of like back in the day with pro wrestling. You know, if you, you had WWE, you had WCW, and now all these wrestlers have all these other options where if they aren't, they don't make it in one place, they can go elsewhere and get paid. So. Is that is is the number of organizations that are out there right now? Is that good for the guys that are at the highest level? <clears throat> I don't think it's bad. I think for them, if they become free agents, listen, these other companies do have money behind them. You know, guys like I mean, look with Bellator, for example, when Phil Davis, uh, Ryan Bader, Josh Thompson, Benson Henderson all left the UFC and went there, yeah. they got paid way more than what they would get paid in the UFC because in the UFC. Their names didn't carry that anymore, but in Bellator, they did, and they can, right? With the PFL, guys like Anthony Pettis, Fabrizio Ware Doom, you know, Anthony Pettis wasn't going to make the same money anymore. He wasn't, you know, at the top five, and 
in the PFL, look, in my opinion, what the PFL has done, and I'm not just being biased because I work for them. You know, I really enjoy working for them. I think they do a great job promoting some of these fighters that people don't know, you know, because they're not in the UFC. But Anthony Pettis <laughs> lost his first two fights to 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 some other really talented guys, Clay Collard and and Manfio, you know. And what does that show you? It means that there's high level competition everywhere. You know, it means that if you don't make it in the UFC or if you are a free agent, you can go elsewhere and get paid maybe more, you know, and have a lot of success. You know, Kayla Harrison is getting paid way more in the PFL than she'd make in the UFC any day of the week, 10 times over, even if she were to come right now. Okay. Even if she were to come to the UFC tomorrow. All right. Look, in the PFL, she gets paid per fight and a million dollars on top of that if she wins, which I don't think there's any question she should win, right? Back to back, right? What did she say after the first fight that this is a coronation? And she's the queen or something yeah. like that. Yeah, look, yeah. but I but look, I love that personality coming Absolutely. out of her. This this now goes back to the branding because she wants the world to know she's not just the best in the PFL. She's the best everywhere. And to me, I don't, you know, like outside of the cyborg or Amanda Nunes, I don't know who else can really compete with her. And I'd love to see her fight those other fighters. You know, <clears throat> but I'm not going to sit here and beg for cross promotion. It's not going to happen. And you also never know. Look, in an MMA fight, anything could happen. Her next fight, she's fighting a, a Muay Thai champion where what if she rushes in and gets clipped on the chin? You know, who knows? Um, but I, I think that the more organizations that keep growing and land on these networks, whether it's ESPN or Showtime or CBS, whatever it is, I think it's absolutely fantastic for these other fighters. They don't feel pigeonholed into one organization where they also, you know, look, if the UFC was the only organization out there, right, and you make it on their roster, how often do you think you're fighting? You know, yeah. Cowboy Cerrone was fighting all the time on short notice because that was the opportunity to make a lot of money. You know, when Chris Weidman first started in the UFC, when I first managed him, I brought him in. His first fight was against Alessio Sakara on two weeks notice. His second fight was against Jesse Bonfelt on two weeks notice. You know, and I think the first fight that he got that was actually with a full camp was Tom Lawler. Right, where he won that. And then he took on Damian Maya on 11 days notice, you know. And you're talking about a guy that was 4 0, came into the UFC. And, you know, these guys aren't making a lot of money when they first come in. It's changed a little bit over the years, but you got to take the opportunity where, where it's there. And if the UFC is the only existing organization, it's impossible, even with the amount of cards they have, to get you as many fights as possible. So I think it's great that they have other organizations. You know, I, I watch them all, I cap them all, I break them all down. You know, it's just, for me, I think the more opportunity, the better. It doesn't make any organization less. I don't think it takes away anything. It gives them more leverage in negotiation. And look, and if Dana yeah. really wants you and believes that you could be a star, you know, in the organization, he will pay you to keep you. You know, if he feels like, listen, your ship has sailed, I can build a new star, go do what you need to do. Go shop the market. And he's a business guy. Look, the UFC is a marketing machine. I think they can turn a lot of people into stars, but- for these fighters, I think what they really, a lot of them need to do that people don't talk about or don't know about unless they fight, constant promotion of their brand. Show the personality. You don't have to be a dick. You don't have to call people out. Just show your personality. Let people love you. You know, the one thing about Twitter that's amazing is that these fighters that are professional athletes are reachable, right? I could tweet at my favorite fighter in the world, and I think I have like a 50% shot of getting a comment. Right. But if I tweet LeBron James or Tom Brady, <laughs> nope. Not right. even a commentator in the NFL is going to respond to my stuff. Right. 
But these fighters are willing to engage. They, they like the support. And, you know, for them, that's how you just build more fans, you know? So that, that's just my, that's my take on that. Yeah. Um, as far as the mentality in the PFL, how different is the fighter mentality going into a fight than other promotions because of the structure of, you know, that specific organization? What I think the PFL has done that is very smart. Again, I, you know, I think every organization has its own identity, right? If you all try to be the same and try to right. compete with the UFC per se, you're, you're going you're gonna to fail even though you're not necessarily failing, right? So what I love about the PFL, I love the, the league format. I love the playoffs because the points involved, these guys know that in different scenarios, not only do you have to, it's not even for the guys that know they need to get the finishes, right? But if you watch on the last show, there was a heavyweight and there was a, um, a 170-er, Magomed, Magomed Karimov, you know, and, and a heavyweight who both didn't fight their first fight. But they came in, if they got a finish in the first round, they had an opportunity to get in the playoffs. That's exciting. You know, when you have fighters that have that sense of urgency, yeah. you know, how many times have you watched a fight? You know a guy's down two rounds to, to zero. And he's got the energy. He's landing a couple shots, but he's not really entering or engaging to finish it. What, what, you know, what's his mindset there, right? With the PFL, you got to go hard or go home in certain situations. It doesn't mean fight stupid, but it's just a different level of thinking. You have to really know, your, like, A, your competition, who's got what points, and also it's the reverse side of it too, right? So like Rory McDonald, for example, even though I think, you know, the world, even, a, you know, an alien could have told you he beat Glyson T-Bound that fight. He didn't need to risk injury. He didn't need a finish. He just needed to survive. So why risk injury, to be fair, right? Why risk right. injury when you're going to have to fight a month from now in the playoffs against, at that point, guys that are going to be claimed to be the best in the division, whatever it is. You know, I think he's fighting Ray Cooper in round one. You know, Ray Cooper's a badass. He's tough. He's going to try to knock your block off. He can wrestle. So why is Rory, like, in a, if I'm going into town thinking, all right, I mean, the, you know, especially because he fought last on the card, the main yeah. event, but the results were already there. He, he lost and he's in the playoffs, you know? So to me, I love the level of strategy. I love that there's, that you have to finish, you know, you have to know where you sit in the, in the rankings. It just brings a different mindset, as you said, to the organization. I think it's also what makes it different and it draws eyes. If it was just another organization putting another night of fights, just because it's on ESPN, I don't, I mean, I still think the interest level is going to be there because they got some good names. They have, they do have some fighters here that I think would do excellent in other organizations as well. Their skill level shows it. But to me, being unique and being different while maintaining that same high level of mixed martial arts is what's going to make this company, is what makes this company successful in which they will continue to grow as well. The, the reason that I love the sport so much is because, A, every fight has a, a certain level of urgency, right? Like an NBA game in on January 15th, like there's there's no real urgency for either team to win, you know, game 42 of Correct. 82. Uh, you're not, you know, you're not in jeopardy of missing the playoffs at that point or anything like that. In, mar in mixed martial arts, every fight has a certain level of urgency, but then when you add the structure of the PFL where literally every fight potentially means you're in the playoffs or you're out. Uh, I, I think it just adds another level of excitement. And, you know, with the UFC, I hear a lot of people say, you know, like they don't watch the prelims or something like that because most of those guys are multiple potentially fights away from even being in the picture for a, a championship shot. Whereas in the PFL, everybody's literally in the standings trying to get to that point where they can fight for a title. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. Look, when it comes to MMA, every fight matters no matter what with right. your career. You know, you lose and step back. For people to say I don't watch the prelims because they're not big names, it's really um, – it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's a, it's a little funky because where do these guys start? And sometimes those fights are the best fights on the card. And what the UFC has actually done is they put some big names, you know, on ESPN plus before the pay-per-view to kind of draw people, you know, like the Dominic Cruz, Casey Kenny fight was an excellent fight. And that was the main headliner for the ESPN plus before the pay-per-view, right? You had a guy, Dominic Cruz, one of the best champions ever to grace the cage, a sport in general. You know, I think when it comes to the PFL, yeah, you got to watch top to bottom because you want to know every single person who's in the league, who's participating in the season to try to get into the playoffs. And also, if you don't know who the fighter is, it's exciting to see some of these new guys get some fresh blood. Sometimes it also gets a little, I don't want to use the word boring, but you know, when you get some of these top guys that the fights keep getting recycled, similar matchups, you kind of know what to expect. In these other organizations, especially the PFL, you really don't. You know, especially because you're seeing new matchups all the time. You know, you had two returning champions in Nathan Schultz and Lance Palmer who didn't get into the playoffs, you know, and people were saying that these two guys that they went to the UFC would be top three, top five in their division. Well, they lost to some, you know, Nathan, Lance Palmer lost to Bubba Jenkins, who did not have the most successful career in Bellator, but obviously a talented fighter and has improved while Lance maybe was distracted in the off season, if you want to call it that. And Nathan Schultz going one and one when he was absolutely dominant, you know, him losing to Marcin Held. I didn't see that coming. You know, Held's had such an up and down career known for his ankle locks to losing a striking battle to him. What does that tell you? You know? So, I mean, sense of urgency across the board when it comes to being an MMA fighter, it probably causes so much anxiety. I know I used to feel that for sure. And I never got to this level even close. So you know, it's just same thing with wrestling. It's I think it's more of the one-on-one competition, you know, that every single time it matters. And to your point, yeah, an MMA game on a Wednesday in the middle of the season, they don't care if they lose, you know, until it's for playoff seating. Same thing with the NFL. You know, it's just um, it's just different, man. That's what makes mixed martial arts so special, in my opinion, is that every single time you go out there, you have a chance to change your life and get one step closer to where you want to be. You can't really have off days. And if you do, Instead of taking it to heart, learn from it. You know, a lot of these guys, I mean, look at Corey Sanhagen. This is a good leader, right, into the main event, right? And Corey Sanhagen was on a roll, gets submitted by Aljamain Sterling very quickly in the first round. A lot of people thought Corey was going to win. I had Aljo in that fight, you know, but he could have easily have waited a while, could have mentally, you know, just gotten messed up, a young guy. But what did he do? He just was like, listen, it sucked. It happened what am I going to do? I'm going to sit here and sulk or can I go get better and bounce back? Not only did he get better and bounce back, it's the best he's ever looked, you know, and now he's going in and fighting a TJ Dillashaw at the best time possible. So this sport is special, man. And you got to have a real strong mentality up here, confidence and understanding win or lose in order to get very far. And that's why you see some of these guys stay at the top for a long time. How on earth do you have enough time to watch all the fights on all the different organizations? Because I'm I, like every time I hear you talk about these guys that I've never even heard of, I'm like, holy cow! I don't I don't even know how he finds the time. It's amazing. I don't sleep very much. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, and I don't. And I, you know what's funny? It's uh, the timing. It's not a lot of time, you know. But over it's you know what for me it's just been the years and years of watching yeah. mixed martial arts. You know when it comes to like. You know, when my kids go to sleep, that's when I can watch the fights type of thing, you know, and that's, but that's, that's why they put the fights on so late, probably. So the kids, kids can't watch it. Kids can't go to sleep. You know what? I I study the sport when I can, 
every chance I get. You know, I um, I just click with the sport. It's the best way I can tell you. My brain, I just the way I'm able to take in the information, recycle it, spit it back out, and uh, study it. For me, it's it's not about it's more about budgeting the time than having the time per se. You know, but uh, it's also what I love to do. It's now my job, which makes it also a lot more fun. And uh, I hope to keep growing with it, and hope uh, this is only the start for me. Well, give me uh, give me what's next for the PFL. I know we have playoffs coming up uh, within the next month, right? Yeah, in August we got three events: uh, the playoffs of all the divisions, which will then lead to, you know, the one night of champions, which we'll get. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. You know, a lot of great matchups there. Like I said, Roy McDonald, Ray Cooper is excellent. Brandon Lochnane versus Mova Kabulayev. That's going to be exciting. You know, Kayla Harrison coming back. And I'm curious to see with Clarissa Pacheco and um, and Taylor Guardado. You know, it's interesting because Pacheco's been on an absolute tear. You know, she's the only person who's not been finished by Kayla Harrison. Two fights gone to a decision. So if that rematch happens, does she pull off the greatest upset of all time? Who knows? You know, and it's just, it's also fun to see a lot of these guys that you just aren't so familiar with just improve you know i mean bubba jenkins to me was a huge surprise you know we knew he was a great wrestler he's putting it all together so this is what i'm talking about man this is just a different the the pfl it's a league it feels different i'm very grateful and honored to be a part of it i hope to be a part of it for a very long time you know and, I, and i'm excited so that's what we got coming up next uh, at least for me personally with that uh, you mentioned earlier you uh, you you got started watching Tough. Um, I've been watching this season, and every time I get done with an episode, ESPN Plus kicks me to season one of The Ultimate Fighter, and I love seeing the season one images of Kenny Florian, by the way. Oh, it, it, it's so funny. Kenny's awesome. Um, I love messing with him. You know, I always talk about his fight with, like, Kit Cope, you know, and Roger Huerta. That I, I said I always bet opposite of him, which wasn't true. Those are great matchups for him. But it's funny because Kenny is such an unassuming – see, like, with this sport, again, it's so wild. If you walk into a bar, right, and you see a Kenny Florian from season one on Tough, you think that dude is going to throw an elbow over your eyebrow and slice your head off? <laughs> You know, you just, you don't, you don't see that. You don't think that you think of guys like, I mean, like a Stefan Bonner who has that like psycho mentality who will come at you and destroy, you know, but it's interesting, but this is why I think guys like Kenny were also so successful in the sport. He was ahead of his time. You know, he didn't have that crazy attitude. It was more about the discipline of martial arts and the winning and his fight IQ is just beyond, you know, you listen to him speak, you know, it's funny when you, when he gets angry on Twitter, when he watches fights about people doing poor positioning in jujitsu, how do you make this poor decision? You know, it's, he'll tell you, obviously when you're in the cage it's different, but because he was there, he fought in three different divisions, three different title opportunities. It's hard to ignore that knowledge. So for me, when I'm doing this show with someone that I, that to me is a legend, I was a fan of. So it's surreal for me to have this, you know, podcast where I'm talking to him like this, but I, I learn a lot from him as well with ways he breaks down jujitsu and it's helped me get better you know, when talking about fights as well. But yeah, it's it's funny going back and watching him versus like Chris Lieben. You know, it's just, it's yeah. wild. It's absolutely yeah. wild. And uh, I was really hoping Kenny was going to make a comeback at some point. Who wouldn't have loved to see Kenny Florian avenge that loss over Diego Sanchez? Because if he were to do it, now would be the time. And I think Kenny wins that fight. I, look, it, I think it would be a seller. Everybody would be interested in it, especially with the, the recent Diego news and everything that went on, you know, outside the octagon, obviously, with that situation. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I would be all in on that fight if it were to take place tomorrow. I don't, I don't care what I'm doing. I'm, uh, I'm stopping everything to watch that go down. Uh, tell oh, everybody yeah. about uh, where they can find Combat Coach and your picks every week. Yeah, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ian Parker MMA. 
I'm on Combat Coach. You can find it on YouTube with myself and Jonathan Coachman. Same thing with CBS Sports Line on YouTube. Also, The Early Edge. Jonathan Coachman hosts the podcast. Uh, it's actually a daily sports betting podcast. So if you like to bet on other sports, catch us there. Um, usually it's on Thursdays where I do the show. We're going to be doing it this week for the UFC as well. Where else? The Anakin Florian, <coughs> excuse me, the Anakin Florian podcast. And uh, I'm there. I'm, uh, I'm on all the platforms, making the picks, doing the breakdowns. With Combat Coach, what's a little different, we break down every single fight in under, we try to do in under 15 minutes, which is a lot of fun. And uh, the last few weeks, we've been on fire. So hopefully, we're going to keep that momentum going, be entertaining and educational while doing it, and uh, just keep this momentum going, man. Winning is fun. Talking about fights is a lot of fun, and I love to do it. Once again, uh, Ian Parker, combat coach, CBS Sportsline, PFL analyst, uh, <laughs> Ian, uh, or I was about to say Ian Parker podcast, Anik and Florian <laughs> podcast. Uh, but no, seriously, dude, like I, I know that your picks have been on fire. You're nailing, I feel like 90%, that's probably uh, not the correct number, but I feel like it's around 90% accuracy. Like the darts are hitting the bullseye every time. But more than all that, I love the educational aspect. Every time I hear you break down a fight, like I walk away as a smarter fan of the sport because of your knowledge of the fighters and what they're going to bring to the octagon. So uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for your time and I love the content every week, my friend. I, I truly appreciate that. And that, that's what I try to do. You know, I think for a lot of people, they can watch fights, they can watch tape and whether you were a fighter, not a fighter, look, a lot of NFL analysts and NBA didn't play the sport or, you know, at a professional level, you know, there's just, for, for me, there's a different type of studying that goes behind it, understanding the matchups, the styles, the level of competition, you know, people try to play MMA math. I can tell you it does not exist. Um, you know, oh, he beat this guy. He lost to this guy. You know, people were like, oh, but Misha Tate didn't do this, didn't do that. But if you go and watch someone who's been around for a while and you go and watch their tape, their studying, you follow them on social media, you understand how they train. There's just different levels to this. You know, there's a, like I said, there's a lot of good guys out there that make picks that do know what they're talking about. But sometimes they take shots at things that even I don't understand, but I don't question it because they have their own style. And like I said, this sport, there's room for a lot of people. You know, everyone should be nice to each other. There's no reason to be negative. Um, the one thing I do hate, and I ask people to stop doing this all the time, is if you bet on a fighter and he loses, don't be a dick about it. Trust me, he feels worse about it already, and he lost way more money than you probably did. Yeah. And if not, then you have a gambling problem. But, um, you know, like I said, I have a lot of fun with the sport. It's something that just clicks. And I just hopefully this is just the start of an awesome career for me in the sport. Well, big things are ahead for sure. And and I uh, at some point, I would love to just like sit next to you and listen to you like talk about a fight card because I think you're exceptional. But uh, I, again, I Thank appreciate you. the time, man. Uh, love the content. And uh, let's catch up again soon. Absolutely, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Okay.